right, welcome back to the Idiom Podcast. My name is Connor O'Brien. If you're new here, this is a show where we interview artists, producers, and industry experts, really anyone who we feel can help you grow as a music producer. So in this episode, I have a chat with producer Kill Paris. Now, Kill Paris got his first big break in 2012, releasing under Skrillex's label Ausla, then followed it up with support tours for both Skrillex and Zed across North America. Over the past few years, he's been releasing primarily on MonsterCat, including his sophomore album Galaxies Among Us, which came out earlier this year. So in this episode, we talk about how he got a start in music, attending a university for audio engineering and why he feels he shouldn't have done that, becoming an Ableton Live certified trainer, how moving to LA helped save his career, and how he's been able to build a lasting career in the industry. On the production side of things, we really dive deep into his production workflow, how he starts tracks, what his Ableton Live template looks like, what his sound design process looks like, how he approaches layering, as well as his favorite creative plugins. I had a really great time chatting with Kill Paris. As you'll find out, he's a really genuine and honest person. His Spotify bio calls him the world's friendliest DJ, and after recording this episode, I tend to agree. Now, before we dive into the episode, Kill Paris just released a remix for Haywire's track Storyteller. I'll play you a preview of this as we slide into the interview, so definitely give that a listen when you get the chance, or better yet, save it to your library right now. With that, let's wrap things up and get to the interview. Here's the EDM podcast with Kill Paris. to the EDM podcast today. I'm joined by Corey Baker, who releases under the name Kill Paris. Corey, how's it going today? Good, man. Thanks for having me. Of course. So as always, I'd love to start with a bit about your background in music. Feel free to go back as far as you'd like, but I'd love to learn what got you into music and then more specifically music production. Uh, yeah. And, um, you know, back in my day in high school, uh, guitar was kind of like the cool, it was like the equivalent of being a DJ now which is funny because that's kind of morphed back into like now it's cool to have a guitar like on stage with you like as a DJ, you know what I mean? So uh, so I, I picked up guitar and um, I actually really struggled with it like at first and almost didn't continue with it. But my friend Ryan was like, no, like, you, you know, you know, figure it out. You can do it, whatever. So I uh, just grew up playing guitar and played in a bunch of bands and I went to college for uh, recording and got my bachelor's in that. And through that, you know, the, the school kind of taught us a lot about like recording bands and like actually recording music. But by the time I got out of college like that, at least jobs for that were kind of just gone. So I kind of continued to play in bands and um, I, I've had I've had the Kill Paris name essentially since I started playing guitar, like since I was like 16. So it's just kind of always been around. And, you know, after college, I lived in Nashville for a while 
and was just like trying to make money, like super, super broke, had student loans up the ass. And I was actually deferring my student loans for a long time, which was terrible. Like just the interest, like alone, it it was so, so crushing. Um, But I kind of, my, my friend Jake, who goes by the name Shock to the System, he kind of got me into electronic music, him and my friend Dave, and they kind of taught me it really taught me about the music and just showed me just, you know, at that time it was like electro house, uh, you know, was really big, like Wolfgang Gardner and Alex metrics, like early stuff. It's kind of like 0809. Yeah, 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 exactly. You know, I kind of picked up DJing and I guess, you know, back then it was like the idea of being a solo performer, uh, just wasn't really a thing that you saw that much. Like, especially at this time living in Nashville, like I, I used to do these like little solo gigs where I'd like have a laptop and have Ableton and just do like improv live looping with like a guitar, bass and some drum pads. Um, but in Nashville at that time, since I had a computer on stage, like nobody was interested in it at all. Cause it's a very like old school kind of mentality there. I mean, long story short, I just have always, music's been like one of those things that I've just always been into, always been interested in and, you know, love making it, love like the craft of it. So I just kind of always kept with it. And I guess through that, eventually, you know, I was able to like make it, you know, a job and actually get paid for it. But, you know, to get there, it was like, (laughs) like eight, eight years or something of, you know, not making money. So would you say that was always the goal with music, at least going to um, university for music was your goal to be making money off of music or something more specific, like being like a band member? Uh, I think when I started college, it was more about like recording and engineering because I was always really interested in that and kind of like the geeky side of that. But at the same time, I really liked playing, liked playing in bands and just like making music. Uh, so I think the idea originally was to like be an engineer, but at the at the end of the day, I basically just always wanted to not have a real job. Like, and I think that's a pretty big motivation for a lot of creative types. Yeah, and it's weird to be motivated by that, but I think it is a great motivator because, you know, as as much as like making music, especially like now, can like be really stressful, and there's you know it's actually more work than a normal job, and there's a lot of downsides to to kind of working for yourself because it it just takes it takes a lot from you coming from a lot of different places all at the same time, mm-hmm. and and to just be able to manage that and manage your time, and also just stay sane and not not die or not kill yourself, <laughs> you know, which is like. It's kind of kind of a real thing, you know, because it's a, it's a lot to deal with. So, yeah, so that's always been the motivation. And like now, I don't know. It's like sometimes I j- I just get so much joy from like just being home, and not necessarily like if I don't want to do anything, I don't have to do anything. Yeah. But you know, most of the time I'm like I'm working every day. You know, beside on the weekends, like I have a, we could talk about you know scheduling and everything that uh, later. But mm-hmm. yeah, it's it's very motivating to work for yourself and very rewarding and also very hard at the same time, you know? So I feel like that's something that people don't talk about when you do reach that point, when you're making a living off of music, just the downsides that come along with it. I think anyone who's making a living off of music wouldn't trade that for anything in the world. 
but their life isn't great 110% of the time. I think especially for you, it's like you're running your own business. Yeah. At the end of the day, everything relies on you. Like you don't yeah. have a boss or a manager that can finish that report for you or finish that mix down for you. Like you're the person at the end of the day that has to perform. So it gives you, you know, it's freeing where you do have um, more time and creative opportunity, but it is a bit stressful and restrictive to a point. Yeah. And well, especially now too, like, as I would say within like the last, you know, maybe 20 20 years, like, I mean, music's always been changing, but I think the responsibility of the artist, especially like an independent type artist like myself and like probably everybody listening to this yeah. uh, broadcast, pro let me get that <laughs> right. Uh, it's not just about the music anymore. I mean, it's still like, that's still like the driving force, I think for most of us, but you know, the social media, the, you know, especially once things start going well and you're like doing shows like you're you just have so much so much to do and i i'm always reminded i uh, i did this tour with alvin risk and uh i think it was alvin risk uh david heartbreak and uh maybe one or two other people it was like an Alzla tour and he made a really good point about how like when you know before anybody really knows who you are and you're making music like you have all the time in the world to make stuff and by the time you make something that's really great like you've already put so much time into like getting to that getting to that point and also the time you had to put into that one song that like you know now now everybody's listening to it and you know you had all the time in the world to do that but then you go on tour okay that just cuts all of your creative time and any time being at home whatever you were doing before that just cuts that right out and yeah. then on top of that if it goes well for you there's going to be a million other things that you have to kind of tend to and and deal with it's going to take your time up even more which is why it's it's tough like you know that the old saying of like you know oh the well the band that band's like first album was amazing but everything after that just like kind of sucks like that's i think that happens to to, to everybody. Yeah. You know, if you're lucky, if you're lucky to, to yeah. get the first album done and like, you know, work and everything. I mean, think about it from the band perspective. I feel like the classic like nineties band that comes up, they were playing likely together for five, 10 years. And those are the best yeah. 10 songs over that entire time. They released yeah. that album tour then immediately everybody wants another 10 songs from them. They have six months to do it or else, you know, that flame's going to, you know, burn out and people won't be as excited for it. Yeah, I um, you know, I just watched this uh, interview a while ago with uh, the band Incubus, which is like one of my favorite bands of all time. Like they were, like I, I always like like remembering when I started playing guitars. Like Blink One Eighty Two was like what got me into guitar, but like Incubus was what like made me continue. And they were talking about uh, they did you know Fungus Among Us was like their first, um, I guess like full album, and that was when they started doing shows. And then they would just tour. And then when they got done touring, they would just go into the studio and record the next album. And they did that all the way up until I think Morning View. So like Make Make Yourself was like the last one where they, you know, toured the album Science and then went straight in the studio and made Make Yourself. And I feel like they're one of the few bands that like they've been they were able to like figure like navigate that sort of I, I don't know what you would call it, just like that balance or, I mean, they're such an amazing band and so talented too, but like all of those albums and like every one of their albums is like amazing. Yeah. But that, I feel like that doesn't really 
that's not like the norm. Yeah. Compare that to like a tool who just released their first album (laughs) since 2001. Yeah. And props to them. Which is amazing though. And they were milking it too. Like they've been touring since 2001 off that and the previous album. Yeah. I've, I've been listening to that album so much. I actually was, I'd listened to 10,000 days, um, earlier today as well. It's so good. I'm so happy their stuff is finally on freaking Spotify and all that. Like finally. (laughs) So kind of flipping things back to the production side of things. So you, you were in Nashville you were doing some kind of Ableton DJ gigs and starting to get better at production. So what was that process of you having your friends teach you about Ableton, teach you about producing, and then getting to the point where you started to um, release and create your own music? Well, it's it's funny because like through school, like we had to use, like we had to learn Pro Tools, which I hated and still <laughs> can't stand. I mean, I, for other people, like when vocals need to be recorded, you know, it's amazing, but I haven't learned pro tools specifically because i don't want to work in pro tools i don't want to be in a studio session and be like oh can you run pro tools i don't want to be able to say yes to that so we learned pro tools we learned uh cubase uh actually was using reason for a long time all throughout college because that was kind of like the only thing so they didn't teach ableton and ableton was fair not like new i think it was on version I think it was seven around that time, maybe six or seven. Um, and also Logic. I was using like after Reason, then I used Logic for a while. And actually, like one of my buddies who wasn't even like a DJ or didn't produce or anything, um, his friend was using Ableton. And he he was like, oh, dude, you should like check this out. This is like really cool. And I, you know, opened it up. I got, got like the trial, or whatever, and opened it up. And I was like, what? Like, this doesn't really make any sense. Um but I kept like messing around with it. And I made this like little like mashup of like an imaging heap song and something else. And after that, I was like, oh, like this is like what I've been looking for, like the whole time, like without even knowing it. Um, and so from there, I just, I mean, I've been obsessed with Ableton ever since. I have a, an Ableton tattoo on my arm that I got <laughs> actually when I lived in Nashville. I think, correct me if I'm wrong, but part of what made Ableton so revolutionary back in those days was the warp functionality, which mm-hmm. even now, like other DAWs, I don't feel like are as caught up. So like the whole mashup scene, I think was born out of Ableton and just the ease at which yeah. you could warp two songs and put them together in a mashup. Yeah. I mean, that in the um, the session view, you know, which is what when you DJ with Ableton, that's yeah. usually what you use. Like just once I kind of figured that out and just like making loops and playing you know, loops. And, and again, like coming from a, a band, like sort of, sort of band mindset and like always wanting to mostly making music by myself though, like my own stuff, you know, like the idea of being able to like play, like kind of jam, you know, with whatever I'm making in Ableton, that was really what, what just like inspired me so much and made me continue, you know, working with Ableton. Cause I've always been, you know, my guitar style, like I've always been into like improv and just like jamming and, you know, playing stuff. I don't necessarily like learn songs, specific songs. Like I like to just, you know, jam on stuff. So yeah, from there, I just kind of always kept with it. And, you know, there wasn't really, there wasn't that much information on like how to use Ableton. Uh, but that was also, you know, around like 2000, again, like 2008 and uh, two, 2008, 2010, sort of that area. That's when like tutorials started sort of being a thing on youtube and i kind of started doing tutorials as well uh just because 
I don't know. It, that was a really interesting time for like the sort of Ableton scene and like the music production scene. And like, I feel like the internet and also just the world was such a different place. Um, but it was like very, I don't know, it was very cool. And even just remembering like the early days of like SoundCloud, like everybody was so nice. There wasn't many people on it. And like everybody was super supportive of everybody else, which I know still happens now. It's just like, like shit posting wasn't a thing back then. You know, it was a really grassroots organic scene because nobody knew what it was yet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Also, th there was just there's just so many cool things uh, that you can do in Ableton that you can't do in any other program. And there's so many neat little just like geeky, like stuff that doesn't even really relate to like production, <laughs> but like just the act of like doing it and like tinkering with with stuff inside of it is just like so so cool so um so yeah i did that and then um i eventually became an ableton certified trainer uh because i was like so into it and then when i first moved out to la that's what i sort of did for a job before uh being able to like just like play music so when you moved out to la you were doing some work as an ableton live certified trainer what were those next steps from there in terms of developing your sound for the Kill Paris project and also just making a living off of music? Well, bef before I had moved to L.A., I was I was actually living back in Indiana with my parents, uh, which was like a real bummer. Uh, I mean, it wasn't a it would, I say that as like a um, in a like as far as like self-confidence, like it was a real bummer, just like finishing college, you know, which my parents really they helped me go to college wanted me to go to college, you know, and I, and I wanted to go too. and the, the whole thing, you know, you go to college and when you get done, you can get a job. But at the same, but even though I went to college, you know, because I went to college for music, like, and got done, like I was still, you know, like the jobless musician, yeah. you know, like <laughs> it's just now I have 50 some thousand dollars of debt attached to my name. So I lived back in Indiana for a while and was making, you know, that was when like the dubstep scene, you know, Skrillex was already around and it had already started. Um, it was already, you know, Dr. P and yeah. all these people were already like crushing it. And it was amazing in terms of like people actually knowing what it was. It still wasn't a thing. Like I always remember I did, uh, I played this little, when I lived in Indiana, my buddy worked at a GameStop and there was a... It was like a midnight, like a, what like a midnight release for a game. Yeah. Yeah. For a call of duty game. And he was like, yeah, man, I'm like, you want to, you want to come and just like, you know, DJ for like an hour. Like I'll give you 50 bucks. And I was like, 50 bucks. Hell yeah. I'm there, dude. And so my buddy Ira and I like went there and you know, all I'm playing is like dubstep stuff, yeah. like good dubstep too. Like uh chase's status uh you know skrillex like uh, just like classic early early dubstep stuff and all of the people there nobody understood like these are call of duty fans so like if you think of like now i bet the demographic for like call of duty fans and like dubstep or like rhythm whatever you want to yeah. call it now like the crossover is probably insane now but then nobody Nobody knew what was going on, but there was this one, this one guy that came up to me. He was like, oh, dude, that was, yeah, I know that song. That's, that's dope. So anyways, again, back to just being broken inside. So that had happened, uh, but I was still like making dubstep and uh, I actually was like ready, basically ready to like quit. And I kind of like did 
like at least like mentally kind of quit like for a little bit. And I was like, you know what, I'm just going to focus on like, you know, doing Ableton stuff. And, you know, at this time I had gotten a job at Sweetwater, which yeah. uh, if people don't know. It's still like similar to Guitar Center, just like way better. So I got a job there, but I like started in the warehouse, like at the lowest position possible and basically just like worked my ass off and did a really good job and eventually uh, got what what was kind of like a dream position there because it was in the store. But even though I wasn't making that much money because I wasn't commissioned, because I wasn't making commission, I wasn't necessarily obligated to like try to sell mm -hmm. stuff, which I was never good at. I'm not good at like promoting yeah. things, like even when it comes to my own music, let alone like trying to, you know, sell a hundred dollar Epiphone guitar to, you know, some guy in Indiana. So, uh, so anyways, I was working there and, uh, you know, pretty crushed inside about like music. And I was like, well, maybe I should just like give up and just, you know, continue to work here. Cause it, I mean, it was a ama an amazing job. Like Sweetwater is, it just, it's like the best yeah. place to work. Like there's so many employee amenities. They treat you really well. There's so many perks. Like you can, they have like a whole like library of gear and it's constantly rotating that you can just check out for a week at a time. So like I got to play with just all kinds of stuff. And actually what, one of the big like catalysts was uh, the they had this program, which I'm sure they still have it for people that work there. Uh, but with uh, the UAD stuff, which for people that that don't know, I mean, I'm sure a lot of producers know this by now. But uh, UAD makes these. It's Universal Audio. That's what it stands for. Uh, they make these. They make plugins, but they're like uh, emulate like really good, basically the best emulations that you can get, and they run on these. Uh, chipsets so you get this little like box that runs the uh, the chips for their plugins and you hook it into your computer and it doesn't use any computer CPU because the plugins are running off of the box and so they had this deal where they give you a, a uh, NFR for every single plugin so you basically get every single UAD plugin for free as long as you're working at Sweetwater it's like 30 and, grand worth of plugins oh yeah yeah yeah, yeah. Yeah, and especially then too, like 2000, that's probably 2010-ish, 2011. Like, I mean, I still I still feel like, you know, probably for a lot of producers, like it's it's definitely a more, it's like a high-end audio, I don't know, piece of gear yeah. because it's expensive and you can't pirate them, which personally I think is great because then, you know, you can have stuff that other people don't have and, you know, you have to actually pay for it. Uh, so that was like a really, really big deal. Um, so basically, I like I could have just stayed there. And, you know, I was thinking, I was like, well, you know, I'll just quit this music thing and just work here, you know, save up money, buy a house. And then, you know, what, die? Like, it'll be American fine. Dream. It'll be fine. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I'm good. Uh, but basically, I was just like super, super depressed. And uh, I was like, you know what, I got to do something. And I'd, I had made a, uh, a couple friends in LA through just like doing remixes and stuff, you know, cause I, again, early days of SoundCloud, like the early collaborations and stuff like, so I just decided to just do it and I did. And I, you know, made enough money, uh, doing Ableton lessons, just like threw up some Craigslist ads and, you know, LA is a great place for that. If you have like a creative talent, mm -hmm. 
that you actually have, you know, being an actual cert, like I'm sure I could have like trained people, even if I wasn't a certified trainer, but just having that like official, it's like a, it's like the diploma I should have gotten in the first place because I've never yeah. ever even sh shown my, I don't even know where my diploma for my college is. You know, I've never like shown that or used that to, to get me into any place or anything like that. So, you know, once I got to LA, I just taught lessons, which was great because the thing about teaching Ableton, and this is kind of one of the things I, I really do miss about um, actually teaching people and doing mm -hmm. tutorials is that when you, you know, it's easy if, if you know what you're doing in Ableton, like, you know, stuff's like easy to do, but for you to do the same thing while also like talking and like explaining each thing, why you're doing mm -hmm. it, why you should be doing it this way, or, you know, the other ways to do like the same thing, like that's, I feel like that's a really good uh, mental exercise to do. So I feel like that, that kind of kept me sharp and, you know, with doing, lessons you know i would do like an hour maybe two hours at a time and it was you know a couple days a week so aside from that you know i used to uh, i always like drove to the people i taught so when i would get back from that then i mean i have the rest of the day to just like work on my own stuff and everything which which was so great so i was able to to do that and um i lived with my friend marty who's been on He's been on a couple songs of mine, uh, Falling in Love Again. He's the male singer on that. And then the uh, he was on a song on Galaxies uh, Between Us, which I'm, I can't remember the you name blame of Blame it. it All on Your um, Ways. Yeah, yeah, bl Blame It All on Your Ways. Yeah, that's the one. Uh, so yeah, just living with him. I mean, he's such a great guy, so talented, has great music taste and everything. So we got to, you know, we got to just like hang out and just like vibe off each other and Again, like going back to like talking about, like, like I guess we, we weren't recording when we talked about this, but like how how a lot of people feel like you know you have to like move to L.A. to like make it um, in music. Like I I don't think that's necessarily true, but on the flip side, like it was for me. You know, if I never went to L.A., I don't think anything would have happened for me because I would have just been you know working the place. It's more, I think it's more important to take risks and to you know, if you want to do something and if you have the idea to do it, like, you know, at least try it because you never know, even if you fail at that thing, it's probably going to lead to like something else, you know, as long as you're kind of moving forward and not just like, you know, standing like a stick in the mud. What would you say was the defining factor that helped you in being in LA? Is it something that you had to get there? Like, what were the things you said you want to be where you are now if it weren't for that? Like, what were those things that it offered you? I think it like uh, mentally and psychologically, just more me believing enough in myself, even if like that sort of confidence wasn't on the surface, like me just taking that chance and be like, okay, well, I'm, I'm doing this and I'm here to, you know, make music. And I, I didn't like, I wasn't like, oh, I'm going to be like, you know, super famous. I'm going to tour. And, you know, I, I could have never imagined like the things that actually have happened since then. You know, which I think is always funny to like look back on on certain events in your life where, you know, it's like you always you always think that like planning is like really good. But at the end of the day, like you should you should plan, but you should also like, you know, change the plan and also not be too tied to the plan. Because yeah. like when I look back on some things, it's like, well, I never could have I never could have planned that I like moved to L.A. 
like make a bunch of music. Skrillex, you know, messages me on SoundCloud before I know it. I'm like yeah. going on tour with, with Zed for his first North American tour. And then like, I might have some creative sense, but I'm not that creative to like, you know, think yeah. that that could happen. So, uh, so yeah. And also just being, being there in LA and just being around creative types and, you know, I'm, I'm still pretty naive now in terms of just like the music business. I think I've, I've become a lot more calloused because of just being in it for so long and, you know, just seeing kind of how a lot of people operate. But I think it was good for me to be there, to be into it and like understand like when someone's going to fuck you over or, you know, which happens so much like in the music business. So I think it was just important for me to be there and just like jump you know, head first into it and, you know, see, see what happens, you know, just committing to it. I think that was like, yeah, committing you said it. it was almost like mostly mental that like just being there mm-hmm. being like, okay, I am here to work on music was the thing that you needed to do. And I think for some people, they do have to do that in terms of like, you know, yeah. changing your habits, moving to a new location is a great way to trigger that in order to reset yourself. The previous podcast, the one right before this with Jay Pryor, he talked about how he just took a gap year after high school still stayed home at his parents' house in Dublin and just committing for a year. Mentally, he was able to do that at home. But I think for some people, they need to be a little bit away. And for me, I went to a music school in LA and it was kind of the same thing. It helped just diving into it and focusing in on music for so long. No, for sure. And throughout the years, I've moved probably to, see, like five or six different states, like 10 times. You know, so I've always kind of had, I've always been like, like I'm ready to go to like the next place. You know, I've, I've always, I've always had that in me. So just, I don't know. I, I think it is good to get out of your comfort zone and, you know, especially like, just like with music, you know, you never know where inspiration is going yeah. to come. And though you can be creative and inspired in the same place, you know, you have to be bringing in new experiences and, you know, going to new places and, you know, maybe that doesn't mean you need to like pick up and like move somewhere, but like, you know, taking, you know, figuring out how to take like a cheap trip somewhere and just like experience something different and like get inspiration from that and then come back or, you know, whatever. I guess with that, we've got a lot of newer producers that are looking for ways to kind of jumpstart their growth. How important would you say it is to have people around you that are creatives that are trying to do at least something similar to what you're doing. You said you were in Nashville, you went to music school, you had, I'm guessing, some people in Indiana, then you went to LA. It seems like throughout the entire process, you had people around you that were encouraging you as a creator. How important was that for you in developing your project and kind of growing as a musician? Yeah, I mean, the people who you talk to, I mean, are are huge. You know, it's, I've, it's funny though, because like, for me, I didn't necessarily always have like support. I always, I've always had great friends, but not, like not necessarily supportive, you know, for like the music thing. And one thing I like to always like say and repeat is like, it's very important to be able to do something that no one's asking you to do. Like, especially yeah. when you're starting out with making music, like it's, you have to do it because you love it and because you want to do it. Like if you're just going to wait for other people to tell you what to do, or tell you that you should do it like that's that's not good because you're not going to be in control of it and you're also just not going to enjoy it so as important as it is to have people around you and creatives all around you i think it's also very important to kind of like cultivate for lack of a better term like the 
like your own reason why you're doing what you're doing. Yeah. You know, you don't always have to have a reason, but it'll, it'll help sometimes. Like, especially when you're just like really frustrated or just like things aren't going well. And usually when things aren't going well, it's because you're focusing on like the wrong things and not just like getting back to what you need to do to improve and you know, what you need to do right then. The more you do music for yourself, the greater chance of success you'll have. Yeah. Because I mean, at least for me, I know it's different for everyone, but like for me, the most enjoyable thing about what I do and like making music and playing music, touring and all that, even though I, I do love a really good show. I love talking to fans and everything, but the most, the thing that just like makes my heart just swell up with joy is like the actual creating the music, like and that like time of like playing around with stuff and kind of getting lost in sounds and like making something, you know, that you think is really cool, even if it's not going to come out. Yeah. Because like, I, I think a lot of people who've been making music for a little bit can, you know, probably agree that like as producers and yeah. musicians, like we we kind of feel like our best stuff like hasn't been released because it's in these little bounces that we made of like something that we just love but like couldn't figure out how to work into a full song or you know we have these like these like loops or like little phrases that were like oh that's yeah. it's like the best <laughs> thing i've ever made but it's never no one's ever gonna hear it you know which is weird it's weird too like with making music is like you know you i i feel like you should at least the way i go about it, i'm not gonna tell anybody what they need to do but for me you know, I love making music because I love to just like to do it and like listen to it. But like the stuff that I love isn't necessarily what somebody who hears the music is going to love, which is like always a strange yeah. thing. Like when you for me, like when I finish something, I'm like, oh, this is going to be like people are going to go crazy about this. And then it comes out and people are like, oh, that's pretty cool. Like, when's the next song <laughs> coming out? I feel like that's something that I've personally tried to work on is making sure that the amount of effort that I'm putting in lines up with what I want out of music. I think a lot of producers get into this and they know they want to be around music, but they don't know exactly what they want out of it. Some people want a solo artist project. Some people are more comfortable creating for other people. You said for you, kind of that nugget that keeps you motivated and inspired is just being able to create organically. Yeah. Has it always been the focus or have you like moved around to try to figure out what is it that you want out of music? You know, again, going back to like living in LA, like that's a, there's there's a few i mean quite a few paths i feel like you can go down like as like working in music there so when you know because i got i was like one of the not the last because i'm sure it still happens all the time now but like there was a time when uh publishers like big publishers were like giving out uh publishing deals to like djs and producers i'm like it still happens but not necessarily for someone who's just like doing their own thing because what they're trying to do is basically sign you and then put you to work for their the people they have on their roster and most of the time those are <laughs> there's a pro at least in my experience yeah. I, I don't want to oh, again this is, i'm just coming from from my experience and I, I just had no interest in that even though i did try to do that and like try to like produce for other people and like you know, kind of try to go down like the pop route and like work with these artists. But it's like, I don't all the people that I met in that world were fucking crazy. Like, <laughs> and it just wasn't even, it wasn't like about like the music. It's like, they're already, you know, before the sessions, like 
25 minutes in, like we're already talking about marketing yeah. and we haven't recorded anything <laughs> and haven't written anything down. And I'm just like, oh, fuck. So, um, so yeah, I, I, I don't know. I've, I've kind of, I feel like I've kind of like meandered into, into a lot of weeds over the years of just like going back and forth, like figuring out like, oh, should I like be doing this with this person or like, you know, do I, do I need to focus on collabs more? Do Should I try to do this production for, you know, this thing? But yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, it's, it's just like me, like making music and just having fun with it. And I think that's something like this year that I've kind of really come back to and like has really just excited me. Like, cause I feel like there's a lot of pressure for people again, just talking from my own experience. Mm -hmm. It feels like there's a lot of pressure to, uh, to just like do big things and like be doing these huge shows and post these, yeah. you know, crazy, like behind the scenes, like, Oh, look at this huge crowd. And like, you know, I've been in those situations before, but at the end of the day, like, I'm just like dude from Indiana who like had like, you know, I, there was no future for me like laid out like growing yeah. up in Indiana. And I feel like a lot of people that live in small towns could probably, you know, probably feel the same way. Like I don't, I, I now feel like I'm less focused on like trying to make things like look good and like, you know, doing stuff that's a good look, you know, it's more about just like having fun and like, you know, remembering that I'm like, just like this, kid from indiana like this that's making independent electronic music that just happens to like have an audience you know right now so with as much coverage as we have on anybody else in the world especially artists and musicians like that's that's tough like because if you're like looking at twitter and instagram all day like you're man it's like you could you know if you can figure out how to let that motivate you which that that's good if you can figure that out but i feel like you know at least for me like like i don't know it just gets to a point when you're just like you, you start to ask yourself or at least i started to ask myself like yeah. what am i doing looking looking at all of this stuff from other people i mean this is great and I'm like a lot of these you know i'm seeing my friends do cool things and then but it's like a, i don't know that it's weird if you're focusing too much on like the the outcome then like yeah i don't know you're not focusing on like the actual thing you know you're focusing on something that could happen after the thing is completed yeah but without the thing there's no you know the other thing there's no <laughs> yeah other thing <laughs> i get what you say like if you're so focused on making it to some label or playing some show you can't control that you can control the music that you're making right now yeah something that i always tell people to do to manage their expectations is set very big goals, but hold them loosely. So yeah. for example, if your goal is to get signed to Monster Cat because your favorite artist, Kill Paris, is signed to Monster Cat, awesome. But if you don't get signed to that label, don't let that define you. Don't become discouraged in music and don't think you're not good enough because you haven't reached that goal. It's okay to have something tangible that you want to reach for. But like I said, don't define yourself based off of that. Yeah, and especially if you, if you're, like if you set a goal really any goal and time like after you set the goal time passes and you haven't reached the goal and then you take that as like oh fuck, like i'm a failure like i didn't get this done but it's like that would only be true if you were out if you were literally out of time if you were like dying right yeah. then like yeah you could maybe be a little upset for a minute but there's still like the since you made up the goal you're in charge of the goal like it's your goal. Yeah. It's not somebody else's goal. Like you're in charge of it. So yeah. if you're going to say, oh, well, I didn't achieve this. Well, that's you saying that 
about something that you made up. Mm -hmm. So, like, you haven't lost anything yet. Like, and who knows? Like, if you still, if you, like, change your attitude and kept moving forward, it could, like, it could be right around the corner. Mm -hmm. Like, uh, like, again, it's like a mental, I don't know, it's like a mental thing. It's like a mental, it's like how you look at things. It's your bird, your perspective. And, you know, especially, again, going back to, like, working for yourself and doing all that. It's like, these are all things that you have to be able to, to figure out with that. And this is just the way that I view things in my experience. I don't mean to speak for you, but it seems like you made a conscious decision to focus on creating music and an artist project that makes you happier and potentially sacrificing being as successful as you potentially could be. And I like, kind of put air quotes around that. Like you see all these other people that might be doing a little bit more than you are, but you're like, Hey, I would rather be doing what I'm doing because I'm happier and I might be sacrificing a little bit of the potential success for my career with that. Would you say that's true? Yeah, I mean, abs absolutely. And I think a big part of that and something you see all over in the electronic music space is like there's a tendency and I totally understand this and I wish I could do this, but like of making essentially the same song over yeah. and over and over and over and over again and i w i wish that i could do that and be feel good about it but i would literally i would want to stop making music and first off i can't even do it i've tried to make like i'll make something i'm like oh this is awesome i'm gonna make something that's like very similar to this and I'm like i don't know I, I feel like i have such a rebellious personality that like yeah. i rebel against myself like I spend, that's what I, I've spent most of my life doing, especially in music is like rebelling against myself, like doing something. Oh, people really like that. They think that's cool. Well, they're not even <laughs> going to know what to do with this next thing. Cause it's going to be so different. And so they're not even going to get it until like years later. I don't, I don't know. Yeah. Also like growing up, I was really into, well, still am really into Bjork and she's like my, just like number one inspiration. And I think because her, like every album she does is completely different and she goes about it in a totally different way, does it in a different place. And so I've always, you know, been into that. And also I feel like that's where, like, I don't know what era would have been, but I think there was a point where I was like, okay, I need to like focus on just like more like, you know, dance stuff. Like, you know, I need to focus on like bangers. But then when I try to focus on that, like it's not, gonna work because i'm like i think back to like some of the first things like uh like tender love and like baby come back and that sort of era of kill paris when things started taking off like oh if i could just like you know do something similar to that again but then if i look far enough back and look back to like how i was thinking when i originally made those songs i wasn't thinking oh i need to make you know something that's like this thing that i did before like no i was just making what i made which is what the best stuff like always comes out of i feel like when you're just like not forcing it and i think something that i've learned in the last like two years is like you know not forcing the creative process like when you're doing it but being very strict about um like just scheduling your time when you're working like that's been really really helpful for me of just like having an actual like schedule like i basically treat it like a job like every week on monday I come into the studio, I'm usually in the studio by like 10 a.m., which, I mean, I say the studio, but it's just a room in my house <laughs> that's dedicated to, you know, that has all my my crap yeah. in it. Um, and then I work, I usually work until about like five. And another thing that I've been doing recently, uh, just to piggyback off this yeah. and tie this all together, um, is this, uh, I don't know how to pronounce it, but it's called a pom Pomodoro 
timer. Okay. Um, and there's a there's a Max for Live plugin that you can get that's free um, that does this, does this. But basically, it's a technique where you're working, you're focused on something for 25 minutes, and then a an alarm goes off, and you take a break for five minutes and go and do something else, and then come back after the five minutes, work on that thing again for 25 minutes, take a break for five, and you do that, you know, as long as you want. I think a full... Um, sequence or whatever you want to call it is like two basically two hours of that so you're doing like four 25 minute blocks um you know with 10, 10 minute breaks and then taking a break after that so that's so i get in the studio 10 a.m i have the timer and my template set start the timer and basically just work till five and you know sometimes i'll go over five o'clock sometimes i finish early but just setting it up like that and every day doing that and then i also i don't work on weekends usually like unless something comes up you know, I just try to make it like focus so that like when Monday comes around, I'm excited to get in the studio. I'm working when five o'clock comes, I shut the door to the studio and then I don't go in there, you know, for the rest of the day, which I understand for some people that's probably not like realistic because maybe you don't have like a dedicated room. But if you could just have like a dedicated like space or area that you like sit or stand in, like when you're working, like, you know, try to be creative, like with the space you have. But like, I don't know, not being too stringent on the actual, like when I'm working, like, oh, I need to get this done or do this. You know, it's like, no, I'm like, I'm showing up every day. If something comes out, that's great. You know, that's awesome. If something comes out that sucks, that's fine. Cause I'm going to be in here tomorrow and do it all over again. I guess kind of on that, what do you do with those days? You know, you get there at 10, you've been writing for two hours and you've just got nothing. Like, what do you do mentally to deal with that? You know, again, since it's, since my time is scheduled, I, it doesn't really bum me out that much. Like I might get upset like a little bit and I'll either continue to work or maybe I'm just like, you know what? It's just, today's not the day. Yeah. I, you know, even though I, as long as I put, put some time in, you know, by that time, like say, you know, come like 12 or one, you know, actually today's a pretty good example. Cause I was working earlier today and couldn't really, you know, just wasn't really getting anywhere with anything. I've been working on this remix for like the last couple of days mm -hmm. and kind of struggling with it. Yeah, I worked for a while. It wasn't really working, you know, did the old, you know, open a new life set, work for 10 minutes, <laughs> open another new life set. Like, you know, did, yeah. did that whole thing. Um, and I, well, I think part of that is because we had this podcast scheduled for today. And sometimes if I have something scheduled later in the day, like it's hard for me to focus on anything else. I don't know. That's just like the way my brain works. I mean, for me to do, you know, this podcast, you know, you. I got to throughout throughout the day, just thinking, you know, not, not trying not to think about what I'm going to say, but, you know, just like things coming, coming up in my head and having these like fake conversations, yeah. you know, <laughs> before it happens. I didn't sleep um, last night because I was doing the same thing, which I yeah. guess we can turn into maybe a piece of useful advice. How important would you say things outside of music influence you and your productivity and creativity as a musician? Because I feel like I've kind of the same thing. When I've got something in my head that is distracting me, I'm not as creative and as productive when I write. I think the podcast is like a micro example, but do you have any other things like that that can kind of like get in the way of your creativity and make you not as productive? Um, you know, I I think for me, it's kind of the the opposite to where, you know, and maybe it's just because I've been making music for so long and you know, touring for, you know, six, seven years, um, to where like when I, it's like, I need breaks from music. I don't like thinking about it all the time. Like I like 
being creative, but then again, going back to all the stuff you have to do, like, you know, worry about Instagram and all this and, you know, just taking yeah. care, you know, paying people or whatever, or like figuring out a video for this, that, you know, I like to get away from all that stuff, like quite a bit, because if I'm too, if, if again, if it feels too much like work, then I'm just not interested in it. Like, yeah. I mean, I work my ass off, but I work my ass off at like something that I really enjoy doing that just feels good to do. And that's music for me. So I distract myself quite a bit, but it, again, it's like after I'm done working in the studio, then, you know, that's when I go like play video games or just like hang out outside, you know, watch YouTube videos. Yeah. Um, I think that's important because I, I need that sort of balance of like, okay, there's work time and then there's like play time. And even though the work time sometimes feels like play time in terms of like making music and being creative where that's really fun. Like I also need to switch my brain in a totally different direction and just like do, you know, like fun stuff, like outside of music. I remember I graduated university and I moved to LA and was going to a music school out there. And in doing that, I'm like, okay, I'm going to completely focus all of my energy on music. I like sold my PlayStation, kind of got rid of no. all my hobbies and only thought about music. And surprise, surprise, I had the worst creative block that I've ever had yeah. because there was nothing else in my life mm -hmm. other than writing music, which put understandably so much freaking pressure on myself. Yeah. So I like took a step back, started hiking again, started playing basketball again, bought a PlayStation with like two or three non-violent games, just, you know, easy games that I don't get mad at. And then slowly, because I had that contrast, my music started to be better because I didn't have as much pressure on myself to be writing 24 seven. And I see so many other people make that mistake, which is why I'm talking about that. Yeah. Cause I mean, it's so easy to get burnout and you don't want to, you don't want to get burnout, especially if you love making music, you don't want to, you know, there was that, there's like a meme or something or a, uh, I think it might've just been in tweet form, but like, like, Oh, so you think it's a good idea to take the one thing that you love more than anything and turn that into your job. Like, yeah. <laughs> you know, which is, it's true though. But then, uh, uh, it's also, you know, it's similar to that idea of like, you know, it's like the best ideas come to you, like when you're in the shower or like when you're cleaning or something like that's because you need, and this is the same thing. What's so great about using um, a timer when you work is like, you're, yeah. you're super, super focused, you know, but it's only for 25 minutes, which isn't really that hard to do. And then you get five minutes to just completely remove yourself and let your brain kind of either process what you were doing or just not even think about it. And so it keeps, it keeps you, uh, at least for me, it keeps me a lot sharper and a lot more focused and I'm able to finish things usually a lot faster through yeah. doing that. And that's the same with like having stuff outside of music. Like you need to, I'm not telling you what to do. I'm from my own experience, <laughs> <Please> like <do. laughs> my own experience, I just need other things. Like, and also I, I love to procrastinate. Like I've always loved to procrastinate. So I've, you know, it's taken me a long time to figure it out, but it's like basically structuring my day and how I work to where I have time to procrastinate, like actually scheduling time to not do anything that's going to help yeah. my career in any way. And that usually makes me a much happier person and then allows me to, you know, hopefully make make better music and make music that I'm more excited about. And I think going back to what you said, everyone has to find what works for themselves in yeah. terms of when they structure their music time and what they do in their time outside of music. Yeah. And I'm sure, I'm sure with younger uh, producers and like up and coming people, it's, um, 
it's very like this whole thing is very tricky but i find even for myself it's really tricky of like when you hear somebody else's experience like even you could take this podcast for example and what we're both saying here like you could take what yeah. somebody says and then you think in your mind, oh, well, that's the only, that's the way I have to do it. This is the only way. And this is what I'm doing from here on out. But then you do it and like, it doesn't work, but you're like, and, and then either, then either you change or then you just think whoever you got the advice from is a fucking idiot. But it's like, <laughs> you have to be able to try things out and change things around and like figure out what works for you. And you know, for me, again, I'm always kind of changing up like my studio setup. I'm changing up my, you know, kind of my default template. I'm changing just like the organization of things, like kind of all the time, because I'm always, always kind of want to keep it fresh in some way. Yeah. And I don't, I, I don't know. Also cleaning for me, I've never been a clean person in my life, but like over the last however many years, like Mm-hmm. If things are organized and if I spend time organizing things, I just feel so much better. Like it's, yeah. it's become its own. Like if I, if I don't feel good about what I'm working on, like I'll go clean a room or I'll clean up my studio or I'll rearrange my studio or wind some cables yeah. or something like that seems to, to have a really good effect on me. So, you know, again, it's just like trying, yeah. trying things out, never taking anything as absolute. And, you know, and also things change too. Like you, you yeah. change music changes what inspires you inspires you changes so i think just always hunting for that the next i wouldn't call it like a shortcut the little like hack or the next like tool almost that, that that's how it should be like thought of even even if it's not like a physical tool just like you know mindset or like little little thing just always searching for the next tool you know to help you switching gears a little bit you talked a bit about like your template your template for music production I'd love for you to talk a bit about what your writing workflow looks like when you're starting a new track in the studio. Yeah, so the template is just like, it's kind of always changing, but essentially, you know, having all my groups set up and I kind of arrange in terms of like where the uh, order of the tracks, like from top to bottom, they're kind of always the same. So I have like my drums up top, then my bass, um, synths, and then like guitar stuff or whatever, like live stuff the layout of it kind of always stays the same and also like my return channels are already like set up my the side chaining on the groups is already set up so basically anything that like i know needs to is going to be in every track like is already kind of done so that to me helps just get things going a lot faster and not spending too much time you know doing you know setting your side chain to you know your kick drum and or your uh your ghost side chain or whatever it is and that that's another actually really at least i what i feel is really useful is my kick that i use to trigger the side chain is always the, it's the same sample and it has been the same sample for probably like 6 years so yeah. that way you don't have to worry about like the release time as much like you know how the side chain is going to react yeah, yeah, exactly. You you know, which is tricky because like if you're sidechaining it to your kick, like your kick's going to be you know different. What if you have like an 808 kick, you know that has a huge like a long release. Well, then that's going to mess up your side chain, and then you're going to have to make a you know a dummy side chain. So you know that's one thing I found that's really useful. Just always it's the same sample, so it's you know I pretty much depending on the tempo and like the beat, I can pretty much 
eyeball what the release needs to be on the side chain, like without even listening to it, just because I know, you know, how it's going to react. So I feel like that's really helpful. Anything that, you know, again, just anything that I know is needs to be done, um, as well as just having some sort of like inspiring synths already, you know, set up and already ready mm. to go. Are you all in the box or do you have outboard gear? I know you have guitar, but outside of that. Yeah. Um, so since, geez, what would have been, uh, since my four play EP, which was my second or no, I go, well, yeah. Cause to a new earth, I didn't have any, like I had some stuff before I had moved to LA, but I like sold it all mm. <laughs> so I could get to LA. But then, um, basically after to a new earth, I got, uh, the Roland Jupiter 80, which was like my dream keyboard. Yeah. And I still have that and still use that all the time. Like, you know, I like I love working on the computer, but I also love having things outside of the computer where I don't have to like look at a screen. You know, there's something I could just pull up and play on, um, especially now that's really been kind of getting me going. Like, cause I get, I'll get burnt out either way. Like if I'm just like focusing on like, you know, working on the piano and recording that in um, or just like working on the computer, you know, so so, yeah, I mean, I have a bunch of outboard stuff, a bunch of stuff that doesn't get used, um, some stuff that does. Most recently, though, a couple of weeks ago, I bought a portable recorder, like one of the Zoom yeah. um, recorders. And that thing has been so much fun, like just like recording, just recording sounds, recording, uh, you know, sounds outside. Uh, it's cool that it has like a built in stereo microphone. And the, the one that I have, like it can do you can do up to like six tracks at a time. Oh, damn. Is that and like the H4N? I know is the one that I have. There might be. It's the uh, the H6. Okay. That would make sense for six tracks. So moving back into production, I really want to talk about what your approach for sound design is. I've seen a bit of it on your Twitch streams, which it seems like you're starting to do. For any of you that are fans of Kill Paris, definitely go check out his Twitch. He's got some live streams, and I believe he's planning to do more on there. Yeah. Uh, Kill Paris Loves You is on, on Twitch. You just search that or Twitch tv slash kill paris loves you so i feel like a lot of your sound design is defined rather a lot of your sound is defined by your bass design i don't feel like you have like a particular bass sound but pretty much any song that i hear from you has an interesting and unique bass so i'd love to hear what is your approach when you're designing these are there like certain plugins and effects that you use or anything along those lines for your workflow um well thank you for that nice compliment mm -hmm. yeah. um for that low-end compliment <laughs> Part in the fun. Love uh, it. We're having fun here on the EDM yeah. podcast. <laughs> podcast. Uh, yeah. So, I mean, again, going back to uh, the UAD stuff, like I, that's what I use for it's on everything since anything that people would recognize from me. Like, uh, and on the bass side, uh, you know, I use the, the Moog filter, uh, which is really great for distortion and. Um, you know, Ableton's multiband compressor, which is always, it just like works. You know, I have the, the OTT um, as well from, uh, what's his name? The guy that made Serum. Uh, Expert Records, Steve Duda. Yeah, 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 Steve Duda. And Serum, I use Serum, uh, but only relatively, only of like the last, I'd say the last year, I've been able to like make a good sound with it. I feel like it was so... I couldn't figure it out for the longest time. And I don't know what it was. And like, sometimes I just get, I get burnt out on like making 
synth sounds. Like it's fun sometimes, but a lot of times I'm like, gosh, I like I, I don't want to do this. Like this is very boring to me. Yeah. Uh, so you know, I, I kind of always like mix it up, and I'm trying to think like recently bass sounds. Um, like anything that you're using outside of the uh, the Moog filter, kind of to kind of do your processing and distortion. Well, the you know sometimes sausage fatteners in there sometimes still, uh, you know, which is Going always back. yeah it's it's just still works like especially for <laughs> distorted sounds like it it works it's so good yeah uh, you know sometimes I'll get like geeky and do some like multiband effects where like in Ableton you create an audio effect rack and then make multiple chains and then do different processing um, on each thing uh, the native instruments monarch synth yeah. is really it's really good that's kind of like taken over uh for the the mini v from arturia because right? yeah. it's kind of the same same sort of emulation or same uh they're emulating and trying to emulate like the same thing yeah uh so that's really great you know i'll bust out razor from native instruments every once in a while you know it, it kind of sounds a little harsh sometimes but there's still some great ways to get sounds out of that. Um, the most useful thing, um, I would say in the last like year that I've gotten that I use on pretty much everything is the soothe plugin. Yeah. Which, oh, <laughs> oh, finally. it's like, it's just in its own lane. Yeah, it is. And it's like, you know, no other plugin like does that. And I feel like that's one thing that I've, I've struggled with, uh, making things too bright. Like, yeah. I feel like that a lot of my stuff um, kind of has that. And part of that is just like, that's like, I want things to sound like that. But the other part of that I know is like through touring and like doing so many shows and, you know, it's just like certain frequencies of like hearing loss. So yeah. I know, like, I know that that's a thing. And like, sometimes when I reference mixes, um, I'm just like, gosh, like their stuff doesn't, it doesn't sound bright enough. And like this what I'm making now, like this sounds, this is like so in your face. It sounds great, but it's like, I've learned to kind of, you know, tamper that back a little bit. And Soothe has been so good for that, especially when you're distorting things, because when you add distortion, it's basically you're compressing the sound. So if you, you know, if there's certain frequencies that are bumping out on like the dry signal before the distortion, like that's going to get brought up even more along with everything else. So yeah. if you can use, soothe before the distortion on some really nasty sound like you can really uh get it get the distortion to be cleaner which in turn actually gives you a dirtier like a better sound you know what i mean yeah. these are all weird adjectives but i guess just for those of you listening the plugin he's talking about it's like oek sound is the company it's called soothe really what it is it's like a it's technically a dynamic eq and the whole job is to more or less like suppress and control mid and high harsher frequencies yeah, you know, for people that know what a de-esser is, it's like basically a multi-band de-esser. So it's bringing, it's basically, you know, it has a, um, like a spectrum on it where it shows you, you know, the audio source that's coming through and then it'll take, you know, the super resonant peaks and bring, you know, you can kind of dial those down. So um, it's incredibly, incredibly, incredibly helpful. Um, that's been, like, it's so weird how some, Sometimes it's more like a, a utility plugin that just like gives you all the joy as opposed to some like new shiny, like yeah. crazy, crazy, weird effect, you know, but, but that's been huge. Um, and also ozone eight, um, you know, I've been, 
always been like an ozone fan, like from the beginning to the point of like ozoning uh, like groups and doing like what I used to call like, like micro mastering to where you're like, you know, ozoning, which I mean, it gets out of hand very quickly. So you have to be, you have to be careful with it. Some, sometimes it just ruins things, but um, you know, sometimes using that on bases too, um, or on the base group uh, just to add, you know, some panning and some of the exciting. uh, Let's get more control without doing like a one size fits all processing on your master. Like stereo yeah. widening on your master isn't just going to get your synths. It's going to get your drums. It's going to get the high end of the vocals. Yeah. But if you can do it on your, like your synth bus, it's it lets you yeah. to, I don't know, like dial in more of the sound that you want where you want it. But like you said, you can mm-hmm. definitely go overboard with that. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, it's tricky, but it's, it, it is also helpful too. Cause then, you know, cause I pretty much self master, you know, everything I do, which I think is good, but also like a bad thing sometimes. Uh, but, the good thing about that is that then, you know, by the time you're ready to throw ozone onto the, you know, the master bus, like everything's pretty much has everything it needs. And then you're just going to dial in how much you can, you know, kind of smash it before it gets, you know, and bring up the loudness without, you know, ruining the mix. So sometimes it makes that a lot better. Cause sometimes it's like, if you're, you know, if ozone's just on the, master like when you hit that the on off button and you hear the off yeah and you're like oh what the f- <laughs> what is this and then when you turn it on you're like oh god it sounds really good but i'm pretty sure that like this isn't right what i'm doing here you know so yeah so i, I don't know I, I guess with any with any plugin you know it's like you don't want to use too much and sometimes you want to use way too much so it's just figuring out you know what time is it right now am i using way too much yeah is that a good thing? Is that a bad thing? You know, again, there's no no absolutes. So another thing that I want to ask about is a bit of your approach to layering and filling out a mix. A lot of kind of more intermediate producers struggle to make their mixes full from kind of top to bottom and left to right. And I feel like because your sound across the board is unique, kind of like you said, even your process, you don't make the same song twice. But regardless, they're all full and interesting. So what advice would you give to somebody that struggles to add enough elements to their track in a purposeful way in order to fill out and make the mix big and full? Oh man, that's a A big question. I wish I had like a one, I know. (laughs) I was like, in a perfect world, I would have a one word answer and you'd be like, amazing, that's great. That's exactly what I wanted you to say because that's what it is. I mean, if you did, Uh, you could just sell a course on that and be making a lot more. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. The last word you need to know, (laughs) producing. Corey Gilpers. Um, I don't that's something I still struggle with to this day. Like, I think, I don't know if that's something you just like figure out. And again, you know, maybe if I was making the same song over and over, like it would be, you know, pretty easy. But one thing actually, oh, this is a really good point. This is something that changed um, how I go about things. Um, it kind of has more to do with actual, like the writing of the music, but uh, I remember Kill the Noise, he he said something one time about um, like not being afraid to like transpose stuff that you've that you've written. So either like pitching stuff up or down. And when it comes to like fullness, especially in like dance music, you know, you obviously you want the, the bass is really important as far as the low frequencies and that that hits on a, you know, you hear that in the sub and like that's going to hit on a big, big sound system. Um, so... Again, in my template on all of my MIDI tracks, so any synths or anything on my sub, I have the the Ableton Pitch plugin, 
and I don't know if in my template now it's set, but I had at one time I had a like a uh, mini mapped knob to it to where I could pitch everything up um, up to, you know, 12 what sensor steps or whatever and down 12. So uh, what I what I do sometimes is like I'll make something and then once I get to like the base or maybe I did come up with this base thing, but it's like not it's too low or it's too high, then you can just pitch everything you know, one way or the other tell you find kind of like the sweet spot. And so, so that to me is really helpful. Um, especially then, because if you're not musically inclined, which like I, I can kind of get around on a keyboard and I think I'm, I'm good enough, but I'm definitely self-taught and don't know. I don't necessarily, I know scales, but it's like all from like ear and just from like jamming. So, um, so you could basically then write, you know, even if you can just play, you know, the white keys or just the black keys, like you can transpose anything from there. So if you're more comfortable with playing in like C major, you know, you could come up with something and then pitch it, or you can even pitch it as you're coming up with something so you can hear the notes, you know, essentially in a different key. Yeah. Uh, with without, you know, trying to f- spending time figuring out that key on how to play it on the keyboard. Um, so as- aside from that, one thing that's on every one of my songs um, since using UAD stuff is I have a Fatso um compressor like a distressor is what is what yeah. it technically is um so i have that on a return channel uh with like the lows cut out and it's pretty much it's smashing i don't know how many db of gain is on it but it's i mean it's smashing everything that goes through it and basically everything is sent to that channel but then the volume on that return channel is down to where like you don't i mean you don't even hear it but it does fill out like sort of the mid-range and some of the uh the higher stuff and i guess that's technically like uh parallel compression so are you just sending like your synths there what is going into that bus everything drums every everything's going to that bus and again it's like you don't really hear it but if you turn it on and off like you notice a difference and it just that like mid mid high range um, it just helps fill that out and kind of gives a nice little little tightness to it. I feel like so much of filling out the air of a mix are elements like that, where you don't want the listener to be able to immediately pick them out. But if you were to take that off right away, it's like night and day without yeah. having, especially when you get to like the really highs, kind of that sheen area. Yeah. And the nice thing too is like then uh, with parallel compression or, you know, using something on a return channel, like you're it's like almost like a form of layering, but since you're, you're layering it with everything that's already there, like you're not actually adding anything to it. You know what yeah. I mean? Like, because it's not like you're putting in a bunch more sounds. Cause I think that could be tricky too. And sometimes I struggle with that. I'm like knowing when to stop and not make things sound too full. Cause if it's full all the time, like then there's no dynamics and it's, yeah, you have, you'll get less of a response out of people and I, i've definitely struggled with that and that is a, a struggle with electronic music because you yeah. want it to be you know loud you want it to like be ripping but like you, there's i don't know that's why like some of the coolest stuff is like you know some of the uh the the trap sort of music like in the last few years like that it's just like the weird rhythms and like these little bits of silences that like you know have it make it have like such an impact so it's more than just full yeah, I try to teach yeah. people that full doesn't mean it's interesting. Yeah, ooh, that's good. And then um, that was the other thing I was going to say. Um, 
aside from the uh, the fat so i'll always have a return channel with uh i think right now it's the lexicon uh 224 i bounce between that and the emt 250 both love those so much they're they're both amazing and well once you hear like i remember when i heard the lexicon and even when i heard i mean really any of the uad stuff but when i heard those reverbs i was just like oh this is what it's supposed to sound like, like yeah. this is good reverb like not knocking on like the ableton reverb you know which is like good for for some things but it's like once you hear that stuff you're like oh god this is like it's so musical yeah you know and, and i i felt the same way with the the mxr flanger um which i feel like i like i i actually use flanging like quite a bit and i'll use that mxr on like on like a lot of stuff because i feel like nobody uses it like no <laughs> nobody's thinking about the flanger is like a cool effect but yeah. um it's really great just for like in very small amounts to where like you won't even like you won't even notice it but it does give a little bit more um like dynamics to the frequencies because of it you know flanging and phasing sort of in and out on things i feel like that's an important point that i kind of want to touch on the fact that nobody else is really using that that can give you something more distinct that's something that i always try to encourage yeah. people who are like serum till i die serum's the best plug and it's the only one i'll yeah. ever need serum is phenomenal and if we're talking functionality wise probably the best soft synth but if everybody's using that everybody kind of has that same serum palette it's an amazing tool. Yeah. It's what we use for all of our courses on the site. So I'm not knocking it whatsoever as a you know educational tool. It's really great, but it's important to have other things in your arsenal that give you a chance to be more unique and distinct. And I think even like you said, like having that UAD stuff so early on, relatively speaking, helped you to kind of craft some of these things for your sound, like the Moog filter on your bases, like gave you yeah. part of that distinct character. Yeah. I mean, it's, you know, it's funny too, because like, I feel like that's a, it's a tricky thing that we all go through is like that. I like I always think of it as like you want to sound unique while sounding like everybody else. You know what I mean? Like that's what it's what a lot of people want. Like, yeah, you want. But it's like you can't sound like everybody else if you sound unique and you can't sound unique if you sound like everybody else. And yeah. it's like I think it's scary to do different stuff and to try different things and try different genres. And, you know, that's I mean, that's what I feel like I've done for like a long time. And I mean, I know it, you know, as far as like keeping the same fan base, like it's probably not the best plan. Yeah. But if you also are building, you don't want to be building a fan base off of, you know, music that's not even you, that's not like unique to you. Because then when you get to a point where you're like, well, I'm done making this stuff that sounds like everybody else and I want to make my own, you know, the, the new, the true me like no one's gonna care and especially if you're making stuff that sounds exactly like somebody else which i know happens all the time like there's so much of that yeah. then like you're not someone can like listen to your music and be like oh like i love this and i'm gonna go see this other artist play because they're playing the exact same yeah you know type of stuff yeah i feel like rarely do you have longevity and most often, like you're not going to be as happy again, not speaking for everyone, if you're just emulating and kind of riding off the coattails of somebody. Yeah. And I don't know, at least for me, like, you know, there's, I don't know, it's just fun to make different stuff. And like, I feel like that's what I guess, cause I'm not like try, I don't want to be famous really. Like it's nice. And I like, I mean, where I'm at, like right now and where, where I have been like that it's, it's, I'm 
more than satisfied with just being able to play shows and making enough money, enough money, you know, to live. I'd love to, you know, bump that up so I could eventually buy a house and do that whole thing. But like, yeah. I'm not focused on, on, on that, on that, on that side of it. You know what I mean? Which I feel like you, you can get kind of stuck on that. But at the end of the day, like I, I would rather put in the time to make my own sound and for that to be what people follow so that I can continue to do that, then not be worried about, you know, like what, what I'm going to make in the future and like, how am I going to make it, you know, sound like what this person's doing yeah. now? Cause now that person that, that was leading the way, now they completely changed their, their sound. So then, you know, no one's going to listen to me anymore. Yeah. And blah, blah, blah. I guess with that common problem or a common question that a lot of intermediate producers have is how can they achieve a unique sound? Obviously, this is easier said than done, and you can't wrap this up cleanly in a sentence, but what advice would you give to somebody that's really struggling and is saying to themselves, I can't find a sounder? They're saying to themselves, I want this unique sound, but I can't find one. Um, you know, it's, I think listening to different types of music, I feel like I always kind of say this, but listening to all kinds of genres, at least for me, is just great. And I'm one of, you know, when people say, oh yeah, I listen to everything, like but not country like i'm not that person because i i actually like country i like old country yeah. uh some of the new stuff i'm not really into but like old loretta lynn and some of that stuff like the songwriting is so amazing the lyrics are so incredible recordings sound great even you know it's like maybe intermediate or beginning producers like you you can get stuck just listening to the same thing and the same type of stuff over and over you know which is cool because there's a lot of good stuff out but like you, you don't want to get stuck in the mindset of thinking that that's the only place that you're going to find inspiration to make, you know, whatever it is you're making. Like, say, you know, you want to make a banger, you want to make some crazy, you know, festival trap or something, and you think, well, I have to listen to festival tra festival trap to get inspired to do that. But you, you don't. Like, you never... You know, one, one thing I've learned over the years is, like, you never know what's going to inspire you. Yeah. So as long as you're just looking for new things, new interesting things, and like following little paths that come up in your life that can lead to things like, you know, you have no control over what you, what's going to get you inspired. Yeah. So, you know, diving into to whatever, you know, again, going back to Tool, like I've mm -hmm. been listening to their new album. It's funny, I listened to it a few times like last week, and then on Sunday I was like trimming trees outside and I like listened to the whole album and then immediately just started it over. And listen to <laughs> and listen to it again, because like there's there's an energy with that music that gets me really excited. Like they're you know they're like a heavy metal band, but like they have an incredible sense of groove, and especially with stuff that's in weird time signatures. But like the feel of it, like still makes you like rock your head, even yeah. though it's like you can't can't really find the one. Like, but that's that inspires me. You know what I mean? Has nothing to really do with like electronic music and it doesn't sound like electronic music but that who knows what that could like lead to so you know i think trying to get inspired by as, mo as many things as possible listening to different genres different artists you know listening to weird stuff uh, i think is is huge it's great i feel like far too many producers fixate on producing a specific genre instead of doing what they are doing which is being a musician mm-hmm they, you know, they have in their head, I am like a future bass producer. No, you're just a musician and you're an artist. You could be inspired by future bass. And if that's what you want to produce, great. But like you said, you have to get in a wider range of influences. If somebody goes to me and they're like, yeah. yo, so-and-so is like 
they're like, if, you know, Flume Millennium did a collab, I'm going to be like, hmm, okay. But if somebody goes, hey, it's like this artist, it's like if Flume, the Black Keys and Tool all kind of got jumbled up <laughs> and made an album Sounds together. terrible, but. <laughs> but like, I would rather see that. I'm like, I have no idea what the hell yeah. that's going to be, but there's a lot of things to play with. You can grab one thing from each of those artists and then kind of create something new. Well, I was just going to say that's, it's tricky though, too, because like there's a huge benefit in making something very specific and staying in that lane. Like there's a, you know, that's because so many people have built their, their career off of that because like it is a useful thing in terms of like being successful and like playing shows. Like if you stay, if you're just doing the same thing, like people know what to expect. So that, I mean, there is utility in that, but it's, you know, you got to figure out like which side you want to be on and how to balance that. And maybe you do do a future-based thing, but then you've been inspired by, you know, some old gospel music or something. So you're going to throw that in there some somewhere. It may, maybe that's, you know, it may, now that just thinking about it, maybe that's where I came up with my sound is like, especially with the early stuff is like, I was really into dubstep and that scene and stuff but then i started you know i was also really into like old funk stuff and like soul music and you know like 90s underground hip-hop yeah. to where then i started like you know some of the early stuff like before i understood what sampling was and how you know much of a nightmare that is if you want to actually try to make money off of it and release yeah. it like you know i was sampling like old you know 70s and 80s tunes you know, that nobody in the electronic music space even knew about the original mm -hmm. artists. And then like it turned into like it was something, you know, unique. So that's again, it's like the blending of two things. And even though it was still like dubstep, you can still play it out, which I feel like is what I'm always, I'm always trying to figure out that line of like, OK, something that's cool enough and has enough energy to be able to play out for people to like be, you know, be into and dance to, but still bring something new to the table, you know, which is, is tough. If I just had to stick to like the, the banger stuff and like dance stuff, I think my life would be a lot easier and a lot simpler, but, um, that's what I find most challenging and most enjoyable, enjoyable. So maybe for people that, you know, are stuck in a lane or are only listening to the same stuff, you know, it doesn't mean you have to completely, you know, disregard that and do something that nobody's heard before because no one's going to care, like, cause they're not going to know, like it has to relate in some way to something. Yeah, I just think listening to to different things is very, very useful. I feel like so often when I hear other artists talk about how they found their sound, it was mostly just them having fun and experimenting. Then all of a sudden one day, whether it was like a friend or like an A&R was like, hey, you've got something special here. It wasn't this like intentional forced yeah. thing. They just experimented, have fun, likely listened to a ton of music, and then all of that bottled up into something that offered a unique and fresh perspective. Yeah. Yeah, because it informs the choices you make and the the sound that you end up making, like all the your influences, whether you're conscious of it, of them or not. And that's, you know, again, going back to that idea of just like, you know, just actually being creative and not forcing it, not like trying to do, make it sound like something else. Like people can hear that in music. Like yeah. when you hear something that's really special to you and they're like really grabs you, like you can tell like, oh, this is like it comes from that like place that everybody's trying to get to. But the only way to get to that place is to not try to get there. You know what I mean? It's ironic. But like you said earlier, like how your best ideas come in the shower, you have to train yourself when you're in the studio to not force it. 
so that you can get that thing that you want to force out. Yeah, no, that's a great, you have to like coax it and like, you know, it's like trying to like get a cat to come close to you, like a street <laughs> cat or something, you know, you have to like get down and like, you know, calm everything. And yeah, it's exactly like that. So I want to wrap things up talking about your last release, which is called Played Out with Dutch Robinson. Talk to me a bit about how that release came about. For those that don't know, because I'm sure a lot of people don't know, uh, Dutch Robinson is the last living member of the Ohio Players, which was a like soul funk band from the 70s that came out of Ohio. And uh, he was only he was with them for like a few years and like wrote some albums. Um, and I'm, tr I'm trying to work on a podcast with him so that he can go through some of his stories because he's he's 74 years old and he's seen he's seen it all. He's still in music, still making music, um, still loves it. But he's seen it all. Um, so uh, actually, one of the guys through Monster Cat had known him, had known Dutch from something. I don't even know how they knew each other. Um, so I had found that out like almost a year ago that they were like in touch with him and like he was interested, Dutch is interested in like making music and kind of getting into, you know, working with like some artists that want to work with him. Yeah. And so when, when I found that out, I was like, that's amazing. That's like the type of person that like I've always looked for and always like wanted to work with yeah. and to make some like really funky stuff and like cool stuff that you can't really make anymore. Cause like no around now sings or like has the sensibilities that like you know this guy does so that was like over a year ago but i was so scared to send anything and i didn't want to i think i was fin i was finishing up uh galaxies within us like my last album at that point and um i was just like i want to work with him so bad but i whatever i send him first needs to be something that he like gels with and like is into like i don't want to like ruin this so basically waited you know almost like a whole year um and then this opportunity came up to make like this song for a video game uh this opportunity came up uh to make this make a song for a video game uh that would be like featured and i'm not going to mention the name because it didn't end up going through and it's been it was a, like a super nightmare in terms of things like saying they're going to work out and then they don't work out which is I man's the music business yeah but <laughs> So, and it was like this 80s sort of theme thing. So I like came up with this a little like 110 BPM, like funky thing that was like really cool. Um, had a good lead and everything, good groove and, uh, you know, gave it to Monster Cat. They were stoked on it because um, I, I made it like super fast too. I made it like two days or something like that and sent it to Monster Cat and they're like, oh yeah, this is awesome. But what do you think about getting a vocal on this? And I was like, yeah, sure. Like if you guys, you know, want to. And if you like know somebody, you would think. And then uh, my manager and I were both like, "Oh, what about Dutch? Like that? This might be the this might be the thing." Yeah. Um, so we're like, yeah, definitely. So we sent it to him. He really liked it. He recorded all the lyrics um, that you hear in the song uh, played out. When you he recorded all that, like in one day, he's super super fast in the studio. Um, crazy crazy talented. Uh, but then so they sent me the vocals and vocals with the track. Uh, back and I got them and started like working with the vocals and then I was like this track isn't doing it's not going to do him justice yeah like it's not going to do this is Dutch fucking Robinson like this is this is a legend and it's important that this song like 
you know, does him justice, does his voice justice. Um, so I basically reworked pretty much the entire song uh, because the song originally was like this four on the floor type thing, really kind of straight. I don't know, just straight doom, 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 kind of yeah. like the whole time. Uh, but once I got his vocals in the session, I was like, all right, we're going to like try to turn the funk and, you know, the the vibe up, you know, a thousand percent. So I just like worked on it because um, I had a deadline, too. So once I got the vocals, I think I had like a week or two, you know, before they needed it to go in this game that it never actually ended up going into um, and then didn't end up being released <laughs> till like three months after I finished it, you know, which is like, I mean, that's the music business. If there, <laughs> yeah, if there could be like a T-shirt for the music business, like, all right, hurry, 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 hurry. Okay, wait. Okay, wait. No, just yeah. wait. Yeah, just wait. No, hurry, <laughs> hurry. Okay, wait. Yeah, just wait. Uh, so, so yeah. So, anyways, um, just spent so much time on the on the song, and uh, I didn't send it to him until it was basically finished because I was like, I don't want him to hear any of this until like I'm at least pretty sure that he's really going to dig it. And, um, and he did, and we're working on some other stuff as well. And, you know, I know a lot of younger people don't know who he is, but this guy has been involved with music that has inspired, you know, millions, if not billions of people, let alone thousands and millions of artists, including like stuff that's inspired me and, um, so it was like a real, a real treat and everything. Yeah. And, you know, again, that's, this is like one of those things to where like, you know, to work with somebody who's been in the music business forever and was in this really successful band, you know, what, four, 50 years ago or 40 years ago. <laughs> yeah. Um, and to put out a song with them now, like most younger people or like even my fans don't know who he is mm -hmm. probably, you know, some people might, but like, that's a you know, that's a risk to take for me, at least. I don't know if it's necessarily a risk for him because he's not, you know, he's done a few things like in the past couple of years, but most of it's just been like work for, he did like stuff for Circus Soleil and uh, these commercials and everything, all kinds of crazy stuff. Yeah. But, um, you know, again, that's just stuff like, I don't know, it's cool to me yeah. to be like working with him. And even if people don't really get it, like for the people that do, get it or do understand or do take the time to uh you know look him up it's kind of like the same with uh working with wim hoff on my album like for people that do get it and do know who those people are like i think that's really really cool mm -hmm. and like something super you know unique but if people don't get it like it's fine like it doesn't really bum me out but it's uh it's cool to kind of put in my yearbook you know what i mean yeah like it's cool to have those little things and I don't know. It's like validating and inspiring at the same time. Yeah. And it's just a unique, like, kind of this thing about working with Dutch that's so cool is that he's, I mean, first he's 74 years old, but you would, he acts as if he's like a 30 year old, like, cool guy. I mean, he's coolest person I've ever met, chillest person I've ever met, like, real cool, like, real old school cool, like, and some of the names that he drops of people that he's worked with where he casually drops names, like not in like an annoying, like 2019 way. <laughs> it's just like, dude, you are the, you're the coolest fucking person. Like you're the coolest person I'll ever know. So I don't know. I'm, like I said, I'm working on trying to, to do like a podcast episode with him, uh, to get just so people can kind of hear his story and, 
I I find it like fascinating, especially somebody that's been in the music business for forever, you know, lifetimes, you know, the just sort of the, I don't know, the retrospection of that and the, the perspective that that, that gives him and his insight on things. It's, it's crazy. It's always great to learn how we got here. I think especially for, like I'm 25, I'm relatively young, especially for the music industry. Mm-hmm. It's good to learn from perspectives from people like that, that can come into it with so much more because they see things that just go so over my head. Yeah. And well, and two, it's like, it's, it's tricky because nowadays, like, because everything's moving so fast as far as like social media and the information you're being handed, like there's, there's a stigma for stuff that's you know, for music that's even a month old, let alone music that's like 40 years old yeah. or, you know, or even somebody that's older, somebody that's not in their twenties, you know, or that, that's not like a teenager, like, you know, a lot of younger people, I feel like maybe don't, at least in the music business, it seems like, you know, unless you're hot right now, you know, people maybe will then kind of look at you and what you've done and what you do with like a stigma of just like, oh, it's not good because it's not new and it's not like this and that, but that's like a really, I think personally, that's a really like bad mindset. And a, uh, I think to learn, you know, you can always learn something from someone, regardless of who it is. Even if you learn like the wrong, like what not to do because they're such a fuck up. <laughs> but I think if you, at least for me, I've, I find it very useful to, uh, to just kind of always look at what I can be learning from someone, whether it's a good thing or a bad thing, you know? So I feel like with that, we will wrap things up for this episode. For everyone listening, you can find Kill Paris's music in the description of this episode. I'll also put a link to his newest release for all of you to check out. This podcast is just about over, so definitely do that once this is over. Court, it's been great chatting with you and appreciate you being on the show, man. Yeah, thanks, Connor. Appreciate it. Look forward to coming back sometime. Yeah, of course.